We know more about nearly every subject in the world than our mothers and fathers did or do. We know more about astronomy and physics, more about agriculture and engineering, more about genetics and mass communication. The explosion of human knowledge in the last century is just mind-boggling. But there is probably one subject about which we know less than our ancestors, and that subject is love. It would seem that the sciences of the mind, the disciplines of psychiatry and psychology and sociology might shed some light on this most basic of all human concerns. But a book recently written in this field says that this is not true, and the author writes, with the exception of a few remarkable contributions, the subject of love has not been the object of psychiatric and psychological research. End of quote. About the only thing we know about love is what we have learned from our own limited and private experiences or about which the authors and the poets and the playwrights have offered the great cultural media such as Encyclopedia Britannica and Columbia Encyclopedia has no entry on the subject of love. Can you imagine that? Encyclopedia Britannica has nothing to say about the subject of love. Surely it is not because modern man has mastered this complex, complex subject. Eugene Kennedy begins the introduction of his book, A Time for Love, with this statement, walk across the Boston Common in the afternoon shadows when the office workers flood down from the State House. In every face you see a longing for love. Forget for a moment the supposed romance of San Francisco. Look rather at the impassive faces of the passengers clustered on the cable cars. Each one seems to be waiting to be lighted up by love. All the imagery of man is in our age gives the same message, the most unlikely face, the fierce scowl of a redneck sheriff, the glazed eyes of a man gone on drugs, the unravaged innocence of a child. In all these you sense man's deep loneliness and his hunger for closeness with others. The Apostle Paul recognized that problem. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, he wrote, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains and do not have love, I am nothing. But there's a vast difference between the mature self-giving love of the Apostle Paul and the infantile imitations that pass for love in our modern world. Notice the description that the Apostle Paul gives of what love ought to be. Love is patient. Love is kind, is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, 
It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And I want you to focus on that little phrase in verse 5 that says that it seeks not her own, or as in another translation, it is does not insist on its own way. And in that you find the first clue of what a mature love is. Mature love is self-giving. The test of maturity is the test of sharing, is the test of giving. Um, Im an immature person does not like to share, is not giving in nature. An infant is born grasping to himself. The childish mind puts itself in the center of every drama. The childish mind wants to play the Hamlet, the Romeo, the Othello of every play. But mature love is self-giving, and we have a marvelous model of that at the cross. See how much he loved us. He gave himself. And why did Jesus leave the angels' choirs and the fellowship of the Father except that he loved us and that love gave of itself? And so the Apostle Paul said that because he loved us, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Eric Fromm wrote a book several years ago that's been real helpful entitled The Art of Love. And in this book, he points out the problem that most of us have with love. He said, the problem with most of us is the problem of being lovable rather than loving or one's capacity to love. So he says, the problem is for most of us, how can I be loved and how can I be lovable? And that, my friend, is the obsession of our time. Not how can I be loving, but how can I be lovable? Just think how much the advertisers spend trying to show us how to be lovable. And think how much money we spend on our faces and our clothes and our toothpaste and our cars in order to be lovable. This obsession with, with being loved has caused so many extremes. In the court of Louis IV of France, there was this beautiful woman. She was the belle of the court. But she wanted to be remembered by her beauty, and so at the age of 32, she entered a convent and was not seen in public again. Not because she wanted to enter a life of religious celibacy and sacrifice. She chose that as the lesser of two evils. She was obsessed with her face, and so she did not want anybody to see her growing old. And the female vanity is matched only by the audacity of the male ego. I heard about a man who saw his wife reading a book entitled What 200 Million American Women Want. And he grabbed that book out of her hand and started thumbing through it and she was kind of perturbed at his rudeness and said, what are you doing? He said, I'm just trying to find out if they spell my name correctly. No wonder so many marriages are crumbling. No wonder so many churches have disunity. No wonder so many relationships are breaking. 
No wonder the problem of our world is so extreme. We are obsessed with being loved rather than loving. And Eric Fromm reminds us that love is an art. It's not something that comes naturally or easily. It's something you have to work out, work at for a lifetime. Mature love is self-giving, so it grows with time. Two people who work for a lifetime at loving will love more as senior citizens than as teenagers. Mature love is self-giving. Secondly, mature love implies acceptance. Most of us offer a conditional love. That is, I love you if you'll change. I'll love you if you'll be like I want you to be. And Harold Rosser sees a striking parallel in the field of animal husbandry. He said several years ago, the breeder of the Hampshire hogs. Now, when I talk about, you know, uh, when I talk about people, the the analogy now is just an analogy. The the breeders of the Hampshire hog, you know, the, the Hampshire is the hog that has the beautiful white band that goes from one front leg across the shoulders to the other front leg. And the breeders of this animal thought, if we can perfect that white band and make it uniform and beautiful, it will enhance the saleability and the showability of our animal. So they started out to perfect the white band. And they had, a, they had a magnificent hog as far as bacon and lard was concerned, but they bred to perfect that white band. When they got what they wanted, they discovered that they had a shallow-bodied hog. <laughs> Wasn't too good for meat didn't like to eat and couldn't fight disease because of its run-down condition, but it had a magnificent white band. And, and, and they, lost, they misdirected their emphasis. They, they embarked on a scheme and they lost the plan. They became so obsessed with a the farm, they lost the substance, and something, something can happen like that in relationships. We can focus so long on trying to change the object of our love so I can love it easily that we actually lose love. Mature love implies acceptance. It says, I love you just simply and solely because you're you. It's not even, I love you in spite of your flaws. It's not even that. It's more than that. It's, I love you simply and solely because you're you. I was listening to one of my deacons teach a Sunday school class one time, and we were talking about God's love and why God loves us. We're so unlovely. And someone interjected, someone suggested that God loves us in spite of our sins, and we all said amen to that. That's unconditional love, we said. And my friend said, I think God loves us because in His infinite wisdom He sees our potential. And He loves us because He knows what we can be. We all said amen to that. Both of those statements are true and they may be getting at the definition of unconditional love, but I think it's more than that. I think God loves us with a love that's deeper than just I love you in spite of your flaws or because of your potential. I think God loves you just because you're you. He loves David simply because he's David Parks. And he loves Lori simply because she's Lori. And we don't even have to change And the amazing thing, and I want you to grasp this, it just 
came upon me like the birth of a new idea. The amazing thing is that God, God's love never changes even if we do. And you chew on that for a while. And occasionally I have some people come in for counseling and we'll be talking about some deep and personal matters and, and they'll say, I don't want you to know this about me because you might not think as much of me. In other words, they're saying, I don't want you to find out this imperfection in my life, feel this flaw in my character because you might stop loving me. I say, that's not why I love you. And I really never did understand what Jesus meant when He said to the Father, Father, I want you to t help these disciples to know that you love them as you love me. I couldn't understand that. I can understand why God loved Jesus. I mean, He did only that which pleased Him. He never did anything wrong or imperfect. I can understand why God loved Jesus. He was perfect. He did everything to please the Father. Then it dawned on me, that's not why God loved Jesus. Nor is it why God loves you or ceases to love you. There's no such thing as that. God's love is a mature love because it, it involves the acceptance of you just like you are. And then in that kind of love, you become what you can become. Mature love is not only that, but mature love involves fidelity, faithfulness. That's an important word for our time. Emil Bruner, the eminent psychologist, contends, hang on to this, Emil Bruner contends that the basic ingredient in a relationship that holds it together, that, that, gives it, that gives it solidification is not love but fidelity. And then he makes this statement. He said, fidelity is the basic element that enhances natural love. Now you know what he was talking about? He's talking about this. He's saying this. Watch this. He's saying that sometime in a relationship, it might be marriage, it might even be your relationship with God. Your love might begin to wane and grow cold a little bit. But if you remain faithful to that love, then that love can be recaptured and restored. But if you become unfaithful and unloyal to that love, then that love is lost, you see. It is the one element that enhances natural love. Shakespeare said, love does not alter when it alteration finds. At this point, I was tempted to give one of those sob story illustrations about loyalty. You know one of them, like the guy who gets out in the woods and, and he gets lost and he, he starves to death and his faithful dog, you know, Rover, is right there by his side and he will not leave his faithful master, you know, one of those stories, and, and, he, and the dog itself dies. It's so loyal. I started to do one of those kinds of stories at this point, but I'll resist that temptation. However, I think there is something that can be said about a love that is loyal that you can count on. I think there's something dynamite, dynamic about a kind of love that says, you can go to the far country, but I'll be out on the road loving you till you come back and my love will extend to where you are. There's something that can be, must be said positively about a kind of love that says, now you can walk out, but I'm staying, and I'll be here when you return. You can trample on me, but I'm going to love you. There's something to be said about that love.
That's a mature love. There are two kinds of loyalty to God. There is one conditional and one is unconditional. The kind of loyalty to God is, that is conditional, the first variety, has as its major word the word if. Uh, if God um, um, gets me out of this tight, if God heals my loved one, if God gets me this job, if God makes life easy and comfortable, you know, put it crudely, if God comes through, I'll give him my loyalty and my obedience. That's a conditional love. There is an unconditional loyalty, an unconditional love to God. And its major word is not if, its major word is nevertheless. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless. I may never know another day of health, nevertheless. I may lose my position tomorrow, nevertheless. My best friend may desert me and betray me, nevertheless. Everything may seem to go wrong. The shadows of Gethsemane may engulf me and the cross may loom before me. Nevertheless, nevertheless, not as I will, but thine be done. That's mature love. And it is what the, the ancient Job was crying when he said, Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. I wonder if you've got that kind of love for God and for others. There is one other thing. A mature love is eternal. Whether there be prophecies, they shall be fulfilled. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall pass away. But now abideth faith, hope, and love, these three. And the greatest of these is love. And it seems that if love remains, if love abides, if love is eternal, then those who have the capacity of that kind of mature love, that godly love, also remain. And it gives us a tremendous confidence in the fact that there is life beyond the grave, beyond this life. And that confidence in, in life beyond this life is supported and confirmed by what we know about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and what we believe about God, that God who is by nature loved created us His objects of that love so that He would have us to love forever. Doesn't that follow? That if God is eternal and His love is eternal, He has created objects to love eternally. What a confidence we have in that truth. And Peter Marshall kind of just nails it down when he, when he tells about the little boy who had an incurable illness. He tried to get well, but he just didn't. He wasn't going to get well. And, and as he learned about his illness, gradually the word death stole into his awareness, into his knowledge. And his mother spent a lot of time with him. She would read to him and play with him to help pass the time and make him happy and comfortable. And one day she was reading to him the uh, story of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table and those great battles that they fought and those heroes who died. 
And then came the question she feared. He said, Mother, am I going to die? What is it like to die? Will it hurt? And tears leaped into her eyes. She got up as quickly, she, immediately, she ran to the kitchen under the pretense that she had to check something on the stove. And hanging on to the cabinet, she tried to gain her composure and pray for strength. She couldn't let her son see her break down. Finally, she went back where he was and sat down with him and she said, uh, Billy, you know, sometimes you get to play, you know, in the evening and you just get tired, exhausted, and you'll just fall asleep in your mother and daddy's bed, sometimes with your clothes on, sometimes even with your shoes on. It's not where you belong. It's not your bed. And so you're surprised in the morning when you wake to find that you're in your own bed. That's like it is, kind of like it is, honey, when we die. We are not meant to live here forever. And one of these days, you'll just wake up where you ought to be. You'll just wake up in the Father's bed. Now, there's some of us today who really had a hard time understanding what Jesus was talking about in the 11th chapter of John through 14 when he told his disciples, I've loved you and I'll love you to the end. The word is telos from the Greek. I'll love you forever. And, and some of us have grappled with that funeral sermon, uh, let not your heart be troubled in the Father's house or many mansions. I'm going to prepare it so that you can come there and I'll love you forever. And we have loved ones there, and we wonder, will we know them there, and will we love them there? And then we understand that, that if death is gain for God's people, then the kind of love that we have for loved ones is perfected and elevated, and it reaches a depth or height or breadth that we've never known before, and we'll love like we've never loved before, our loved ones. And now abideth faith, hope, and love, these three, and the greatest of these is mature love. And the question is, where does it come from? And how do you get it? How do you love like this? How do you have a self-giving love when your nature is to grasp and hold and cling? How do you have acceptance when your basic need is to reject? How do you have that kind of a tolerance and loyalty that remains through thick and thin? Uh, how, how, do you, how do you have that kind of love? that keeps on loving. Well, the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is love. That is, the fruit that the Spirit produces in your life is mature love. And so the answer, my friend, and I want you to hear it, is this. The answer is to allow God in the person of the Holy Spirit to take control of your life, your thoughts, your emotions, your purposes, your will, allow the Holy Spirit to control. And in the control of the Holy Spirit in your life, He produces love that's mature. And your question is, how do I turn the control room of my life over to the personality of Jesus, the Holy Spirit? The answer to that is simple. You realize the need of it and the urgency of it. 
you confess the sin that's in your life to God and to those you've sinned against. And by faith, just the same faith that you claimed for salvation, claimed salvation from God, you turn your life over to His control and allow the Holy Spirit to produce mature love. Join me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we have both the lesson and the example of the love of God, the love of Christ, and the admonition and the encouragement and the inspiration and the command to love like He loves. And so I pray for us today, Father, we're all in desperate need, not so much to be loved, but to love. Would you take control of our heart and life today, dear Lord? Would you be Lord? We want you to take control. We've made a mess of things. We'd like to see perfection and improvement the way we walk and live and think feel and I pray Lord that you'll move in right now to the heart and life of every person in this room take control take away the sin the hurt the bitterness the rejection the anger the hostility replace father with the pure love of God because I pray in Jesus' name for his sake. Now the invitations are these. Look here. The first invitation is for you to come just like these children came in the past days. To come this morning to say, I want to give my heart and life to Jesus Christ. You don't say that publicly, aloud to the congregation. You say that to the Father, to the Lord. Share that with the pastor and I'll share it with you, the people. Would you like to come confessing Christ to be your Savior, trusting Jesus and Jesus only for your salvation? You've never accepted Christ. You've never repented of a life of sin. You've never been saved, born again, converted. Would you come this morning to say, I want Jesus Christ to be my Savior. I'm trusting Him. Second invitation is for you to come this morning to place your life in the church because Christ died for the church. How important is it? Is it important as His life? Would you place your life here to serve with us? When He comes again to know that you're a part of the bride that worships together here in this place where you live. Or maybe you just need to come to say, I need to take those steps today publicly it would allow me to be in a position for the Lord to take control of my life. I come humbly to place myself before men and God to say I want to be in a place where God can take control of my life and use it to bring glory to His name and the extension of His kingdom. What a time for decision. I'll ask you to decide right now as we stand and our choir sings. Would you come?